Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Seriously though, why? Why is God so lavish with us? And why does God bless us so? Answer? You ready for it? Wait for it. (laughs) Here it is. He likes us. He likes us. He loves us, but he actually likes us. That's why. This is In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Ephesians. Do you know that God really likes you? Pastor J.D. explains today that we can grasp the idea that God loves us, but it's harder to imagine God wanting to spend time with us. In Ephesians 1, the Apostle Paul tells us that God has lavished us with spiritual blessings. It's his choice to do this, and he's done it for you because he likes you. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, with part 1 of his message, God Really Likes Me. Let's get into the Word of God. On Sunday mornings, we're now going through Ephesians, having completed Galatians, chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And our text today is going to be chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. So, beginning in verse 3, the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, is writing to the church in Ephesus and says... Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, verse 7, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, verse 11, we were also chosen, having been, and here it is again, (laughs) predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, 
the promised Holy Spirit, who, verse 14, is a deposit, an earnest money deposit, if you will, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Wow. Wow. So I'm going to have to maybe explain a little bit the title that I've chosen for today's teaching. The title that I chose is, God Really Likes Me. How's that? Now, I chose this title because we live in a day and age where sadly the word love has been so cheapened, so much so that it almost in some ways has less of an impact than does the word like. Let me illustrate. Let's just say that I instead chose for today the title of God Loves Me. Oh, of course, God is love. Sure, He loves me. What's for lunch? Right? I mean, it's a firm grasp of the obvious, to say the least. Of course, God loves me. But when you say, actually, God really likes you, He does? You mean, God's not mad at me? No. No, God's not mad at you. God took all of his anger, all of his wrath, and he put it on the person of Jesus Christ almost 2,000 years ago on that cross so that with Paul in Romans 8.1, we could say there is therefore now no condemnation, no anger, no wrath for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, why is this so crucial, so vital, so important? And I want to answer that with just a personal testimony of what God did in my own life when I came to the realization that God's not angry at me as my Heavenly Father. It changed everything. It changed the whole complexion of my relationship with Him. See, if God isn't mad at me, then I'm going to want to draw closer to Him. Because conversely, if God's mad at me, I'm going to instead want to keep my distance from Him. Like many, like many of you perhaps, we tend to view our relationship with our Heavenly Father through the lens of our relationship with our earthly Father. And I know for me that I did not have a great relationship with my earthly Father. He was always angry at me. I mean, like, all the time. And (laughs) probably rightfully so. But we didn't have a good relationship because of it, and I would find myself wanting to keep my distance from him, so in the mornings I would try to avoid him and wait 
to get up and go about my day until after he had left the house. And then when evening time came, I would also try to do the same, and I would try to um, go to bed before he got home, just to avoid his wrath, his anger, his yelling. And one of the hardest things for me in my own relationship with the Lord to come to the place of and realize was that my Heavenly Father is never mad at me. He, he does love me so much, but not only does He love me, He, he really likes me. And how about this? He wants to be around me. And that makes me want to be around Him. He wants to spend time with me. And so too does that make me want to spend time with Him. And so that's how it just changed the complete relational dynamic in my life. And the reason I share that is because the text that is before us today speaks to this relationship that we can have with God. And it's interesting because it's almost like the Apostle Paul is giddy in writing about how God has blessed us, how much, God, how abundantly God has blessed us. I say giddy for this reason. Beginning in verse 3, all the way through verse 14, is actually one long sentence. Uh, I hope you understand that uh, in the original manuscripts, there was no punctuation, there was no chapter breaks, there were no verses. That didn't come till later, starting with the Geneva Bible and then subsequently the King James Bible. But this was just one long running letter, no chapters, no verses, and no punctuation. So it's almost like Paul takes the pen, he actually has someone write this for him, and he just can't stop as he lists all of these blessings that are ours in Christ. There's no sentence structure. He doesn't care. He just keeps going. And by the way, uh, this is the longest sentence in the entirety of Scripture right here from verses 4 or verse 3 all the way through to verse 14. One went as far as likening this to an opera, which has an overture in the sense that it sets the tone for all the melodies that will yet follow. There is a melodic tone to what Paul writes here. In verses 3 through 6, we have the first stanza of sorts, with Paul writing about the blessings that are ours from the Father. In verses 7 through 12, it's about all that is ours through God the Son, And verses 13 through 14, it's all about what's ours by God, the Holy Spirit. All of these blessings. And when you read through this, 
you can't help but notice that it's as if Paul is making this incredible and almost unbelievable claim. I mean, when you at first read, maybe it doesn't come leaping off the pages of your Bible, but when you read through this, and you really allow the Holy Spirit to minister this to you, it is, dare I say, outlandish, for lack of a better word. I mean, this is unbelievable. This is incredible. I mean, just go down and you'll forgive my way of saying this, grocery list, all of the blessings that are here. In fact, you know what? Let's do it. You ready? In verse 4, and this is not exhaustive, by the way. In verse 4, He chose us. In verses 5 and 6, He predestines us. In verse 7, He forgives us and redeems us. In verse 8, He lavishes us. I love that. Go look up that word, the definition of just the word lavish. He spoils us. He lavishes us. In verses 9 and 10, He reveals His will to us. In verses 11 and 12, He conforms us. And how about this, in verses 13 and 14, He marks us, He puts the deposit down, guaranteeing us, and seals us with the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing our rich inheritance in Christ. Do you know what's in store for us? It would make the best of trust funds pale in comparison to what awaits us in heaven. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no lip could utter, no mouth could speak. It would be criminal to even try to describe that which we only see through a glass dimly, blurry if you prefer now. But when that time comes, we have in store for us unspeakable riches. That's our inheritance, and it's guaranteed. It's guaranteed. What seals the deal, if you will, is the Holy Spirit. That alone, right? That alone. Are you kidding me? That alone. What a blessing. Even the word blessing doesn't seem to quite begin to describe it. Charles Spurgeon had this to say. Our thanks are due to God for all the temporal blessings. Certainly God blesses us in the here and now, in the temporal as well as the eternal. But our thanks are due to God for all the temporal blessings. They are more than we deserve. But our thanks ought to go to God in thunders of hallelujahs for spiritual blessings. A new heart, listen, is better than a new coat. To feed on Christ is better than to have the best earthly food. To be an heir of God is better than being the heir of the greatest nobleman. To have God for our portion is blessed, infinitely more blessed 
than to own broad acres of land, even 3.1 acres on Kamehameha Highway in Kahalu. Just saying. God hath blessed us with spiritual blessings. These are the rarest, the richest, the most enduring of all blessings. They are priceless in value. That's kind of an understatement, isn't it? Let me add that in my own personal experience, I don't really believe it is possible to fully enjoy the material blessings from God until you first received and enjoyed and appreciated the spiritual blessings from God. I mean, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet loses his own soul? What emptiness resides in merely the blessing of the here and the now, especially if it comes at the expense of the riches that await in heaven. Now, there's a question. The question is one of why. Why does God choose us? Why does God bless us? Why is God so lavish and extravagant with us? Why does God give us such riches that are priceless in value? Is there something about me that God just looks down and says, man, I really like that guy. I'm going to bless him. That is absolutely not the case. In fact, I would argue, at least in my own life, the opposite is the case. God looks down and says, that guy needs my blessing. (laughs) Look at him. He's nothing without me, and certainly I am not. And neither are you, so don't look at me all pious and everything, all right? (laughs) Seriously, though, why? Why is God so lavish with us? And why does God bless us so? Answer? You ready for it? Wait for it. (laughs) Here it is. He likes us. He likes us. He loves us but he actually likes us. That's why. He likes us, not because of anything within us. There's nothing innate within us that attracts us to him. No, it brings him great pleasure. And it's according to his will. And because of his love, he chooses to bless us. Now, here's where I'm going with this. We need this foundational understanding in order that we might deal with the elephant in the room. Oh, some of you are going, there's an elephant in the room? Oh yeah, there's an elephant in the room. What's the elephant? Oh, it's the elephant of predestination. Yeah sends shivers up and down the spine of some, just even uttering the word. Did you notice that Paul brings it up twice? 
Once in verse 5, once in verse 11. So it probably goes without saying, but this has been the subject of much debate and sadly much division within the body of Christ concerning God predestining us. The question is, how can God choose us? Let's put the blessings, leave them on the table, but just put them aside for the meantime. But let's just talk about God choosing us, but still at the same time giving us the free will to choose Him. How does that work? If I'm predestined, that means that it's already been decided. So really, I have nothing to do with it. It's almost as if, if God has predestined me to be saved, I'm getting saved whether I like it or not. Am I right? Is that not what predestination in that context suggests? You're predestined. You're amongst the elect. Wait a minute. Wait, stop, stop. You can't say that. Because if you say that, then you have to alter the entirety of the pages of Holy Writ, starting with that most famous and well-known verse in John 3.16. And instead, it should have said, For God so loved the world, that whosoever is amongst the elect predestined that would believe in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. This is another one of those things where the enemy will do something right now by way of a distraction because he doesn't want you to grasp the truth that is before us this morning. So please don't let your mind wander. I'll do my best on my part by the Holy Spirit to be as clear and concise and simple as I possibly can. Let me share with you what one commentator wrote. I think it's perfect. This is the answer to, one answer to the question of how can we still have the free will to choose if it's already been predetermined, if we're already predestined? Listen. It's as if when a person decides to choose the Lord, he walks through a door over which is written the words, Whosoever will, let him come, Revelation 22.17. Yet, the moment he walks through the door, he looks back and sees the words, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, John 15.16. Community is so important to a growing relationship with Jesus. We weren't meant to walk this Christian life alone. God has blessed us with spiritual brothers and sisters, all imperfect people serving a perfect creator. We will find ourselves in times of trial as we deepen our faith and follow Jesus. So we need to have a community of believers to lean on. Your church family can be a source of support, a cheering squad, and most importantly, a group of faithful prayer warriors. In turn, you provide the same for them. Have you found a group of Jesus followers that you can invest in? If you're in the Kaneohe area and don't have a church, we would be more than happy to welcome you into our family. 
Come join Calvary Chapel Kaneohe on Sundays and Thursdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find out more at our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. Before our time is through with you today, we want to tell you how you can listen to more editions of In Spirit and Truth. Did you know you can take In Spirit and Truth on the go by downloading our mobile app? In our fast-paced world, it's easy to let the time we'd spend in the Bible slip into the back of the line of things to get done in a day. When you download our mobile app, however, you'll have verse-by-verse studies in the Bible available right at your fingertips to listen to whenever and wherever you go. You'll find a link to the app at inspiritandtruthradio.com. Join us next time as we continue in the book of Ephesians on In Spirit and Truth. Holding me true to 